So we're continuing this healing series, and uh, we've been talking about this in recent weeks. And so today what I've done is I've invited two people that, uh, that I admire deeply and respect deeply to come and join me for a, a dialogue for the message. So on my right, your left, is uh, Jim Schleicher, a well-known family and marriage therapist who's been in Nashville for many, many years, been in practice for many decades. And so um, join me in welcoming uh, Jim Schleicher. And then on my left is somebody who's actually in my family. She is my stepmother, Ann Stauffer, married to my father. And she, too, has been a counselor and therapist, a Christian therapist, uh, for many years. So welcome, Ann Stauffer, if you would. So we're taking a little bit of a different approach this morning in hopes that it will be helpful. But I want to begin um, just by asking both of you, what, what got you into the healing profession? What was it that made you want to do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Well, my dad and my grandfather, my great-grandfather and my brother and my brother-in-law are all ministers. So going to divinity school was a no-brainer. Um, and then... Uh, Ran out of money, so went to work at child psychiatry at Vanderbilt. Found my niche working with kids and families. Um, plus, I figured out in the ministry, well, as a therapist, you can fire clients. In a ministry, you can't fire church members. So, Pretty good. Thanks, Jim. Um, <clears throat> actually, I was a double preacher's kid, and my grandmother had been dean of a college working with students, and then my mother had started her own practice uh, in the 1960s. So, I mean, I had amazing opportunities. I met Victor Frankel by the time I was 16. That made a deep impression on me and some others. And <clears throat> then I just ran after college. That was the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to make my own mark on the world. I became a corporate recruiter for about five years, did a lot of traveling, made more money than I ever thought possible. And looking back, I realized that that was my escape from facing my own trauma, which had been a lot. Workaholism, making money, traveling. And um, I actually had a real um, um, jerking up, you might say, by God, which is kind of another story. But uh, I was really reached out to by him and called to this profession at about 26 years old. And then I had another very rude awakening at 42. Uh, Clay reminded me that uh, he'd asked me to do a sermon on being a wounded healer, which is about, what, six years ago maybe, Fine. Clay? And it's on YouTube. So that directed me into being a trauma therapist, which was sort of like, huh? at that time, which was 25 years ago. And, and here we are talking about this, and I love it. That was a great sermon. You can uh, find it on Woodmont's YouTube channel called The Wounded Healer. So let's dive into our text. You guys didn't know you were going to get free therapy this morning in church, but here we are. Um, we've, Jay mentioned earlier in the communion meditation, we've talked about this, that throughout all of the Gospels, you have multiple examples of Jesus healing. It is a theme that runs through all the Gospels. So today in John's Gospel, we, we, we find him healing at this pool. But he asks a question of this man that I think is really important. And the question is, do you want to be made well? Can you guys talk to me a little bit about why a patient or client's attitude and mindset is so important when it comes to healing? Anne, you want to go first? 
Yeah, I, I think it's like just about everything. I mean, kind of like in that scripture, you know, you look at all of these people. What is it about that one guy that made him come forward? And, and you never know. I mean, you can't pick that one person, but it's the one that's got that that spark, that that will within him or her that's going to come forward. Um, I think of it like a law of readiness that's sort of deep and hidden within that person. You know, you might think that the person who's sort of all over it at first and reads all the books and watches all the videos and is never late for an appointment is gonna be the one to progress. And then six months later, it's the one who's sort of been totally out of sight that all of a sudden is full on press. So we have to realize that we don't know. We just need to keep praying. We need to keep reaching, reaching out. We need to be long-haul check-inners with the trauma survivors. Jump. I think just uh, picking up on that theme, Anne, is I think what Jesus is getting at is you've got to be a full participant in your own healing. Uh, you just can't be a passive recipient to it. You've got to somehow get in the game um, there's a small group of people, hopefully not many, because most people really don't want to be miserable. But being miserable is really not that hard a way to live. It doesn't require much of you. You're not responsible. You're not accountable. So being miserable really is not that difficult. But healing is. And I think what the scripture gets at and what you're talking about is, is what Jesus is saying is if we're going to heal, we got to be a full participant in that process. I want to talk a little bit about trauma because both of you have extensive experience working with people that have been through, are going through trauma. Also look around, I see some other uh, counselors in uh, the room who work with people that have been through trauma. I recommended this book uh, by Jerry Sitzer. Remember, Jerry lost his wife, his mother, and his daughter in a car accident. He and his other two children survived it. A very powerful book on, on grief and, and loss. But, but I'd like to know what, what is it that helps us get through traumatic experiences. So what happened here in Nashville with Covenant um, is, is an example of that. And also how does trauma affect us both physically and emotionally? Because I've heard both of you say that it does. So how, how does trauma affect us physically and emotionally whenever we go through it? Well, first of all, and I don't wanna get into semantics, but I'm not a big fan of getting through or resolving or getting closure. I much more see things as our life is a picture puzzle and all of the events and the people that of significance are part of that puzzle. And that uh, traumatic experience is one piece of the puzzle that stands out very much in neon for a while. What you hope for is that it's always a piece of who we are, but it's just a part of who we are. And that every once in a while, the nature of trauma is you pull that piece off and you have to sand off a rough edge, but it's always with us, but it doesn't have to be the only thing we have. And then the data around the, the, uh, what it affects, it affects everything. I think we're just now coming to grips with how much physicality trauma has for people, that it takes years for the body to reset itself. And the nature of trauma is that you don't remember it. When something gets triggered, you reenact it. It becomes so present and so immediate. So it affects everything. And the physiology of it, it's why there's, uh, in fact, there's, uh, I didn't get to read it, but there's something in the New York Times this morning about the limitations of just talk therapy is that a lot of what we do with trauma work is much, much more having to do with experiential and it is just talking it through. Yeah, yeah I, I would so agree with that. Um, 
<clears throat> I um, also just saw something as a big, um, heavily funded study with Harvard and MIT where uh, a lot of the things I was exposed to 25 years ago, which were very cutting edge in the United States are just now becoming mainstream in terms of talking about collective trauma and what we're all feeling in our bodies, even if we ha didn't lose a loved one or have a child in the covenant shooting. I mean, people will call me that are, um, you know, very highly accomplished and they'll go, I just had this edge of anxiety. I'm hypervigilant in how I feel in my body. I can't sleep. And I'll introduce them to the, to the principle of collective trauma that we're all sort of shattered, you know, by this and it will make sense to them. Anybody thought I was nuts if I talked to them about that even 10 years ago, but there's something that affects us physically. Um, I would say trauma at, at first, and this is certainly true for me and a lot of people I've known, just absolutely either cuts you off like a bridge of concrete between your head and the rest of you because you just simply cannot absorb what is happening. You are so flooded. And maybe when you're triggered or re-traumatized, it can be more of a feeling like of being shattered apart like broken glass. Um, a quick little story, even though I was not involved with the Covenant shooting, the 24 hours before, I had the weird experience of somebody rapping on my car window three times within 24 hours. Turned out they were nice people trying to let me know the gas caps off. You're, you know, I went to Goodwill, leave some clothes. The, the thing wasn't shut. And another one was, oh, ma'am, I'm lost. Could you please give me directions? I'm new to Nashville. Mm -hmm. I interpreted them as gunshots because I've been in that position before, years and years. Interesting how the body replays. So what have you guys, whether you've worked with the Covenant families or just worked with the collective community trauma that it's impacted our, you know, our, our community, what do you find has been helpful for your clients? What have you told them in terms of how you press forward, how you kind of get up and take every new day? Because a lot of people feel completely overwhelmed. They're sad, they're depressed, they're afraid. Um, what have you found this spring to be helpful in working with your clients? I think the people that are doing the best are the people that are not feeling alone. I think that collective trauma, the other piece of that is collective healing. Mm -hmm. And the people that are having the hardest time are the people that don't feel like they're part of something. That um, the people that are sort of making it through and then all of us sort of understanding this is going to take a long time. A long, long time. And we're in it for the long haul. And one of the things that I would encourage all of us is that if you know somebody more directly involved, make notes on your daytime or in your phone to check in on them down the road. The um, society gives us some time to heal, but gets, wants us to be in the game much quicker than we really can be fully in back in the game. And so for the next years, Mark, I'm going to check in with so-and-so every three months, every six months. Because if you don't make that notation, you're probably not going to remember to do it. And the same thing is true with people that lose loved ones is everybody's around. You know, I think of one of our staff members lost her husband this, the past couple of weeks and everybody's in town, everybody's around. When everybody goes back to their lives, their normal lives as they know them, and that person is still left dealing with the trauma, the hurt, the grief, the loss, and we don't always follow up. Yeah, it's, it's everybody does this 
in their own way, but statistically after a loss, somewhere between the sixth and the 18th month can be the hardest time because everybody else has gone back to their world mm -hmm. and you're kind of left living with the empty. And what would you say the spring that you've found to be helpful, the folks that you've worked with? Yes, and I think um, for those that don't have a church or, or readily community, you know, help them line up sort of a, a, of a team, you know, um, get them with a really good um, energy massage person who can help them deal with their body. Um, there's, a, there's a saying, our issues are in our tissues, and, and that's never as true as with working with trauma. Um, it, it affects our body. Our, our body remembers. Uh, there's a, a book out uh, uh, by Bessel van der Kolk. Uh, the Body Keeps a Score. Yeah, and who's one of my initial trainers. And that is so, so true. Um, a meditation teacher. Things that people thought were woo-woo or spooky, you know, even 10 years ago, uh, I'll introduce now to people that were affected by this and they will grab on as though it's it's water to a, a thirsty man across the desert. And I'm like, well, that was easy. I used to have to introduce things over five years to get people to warm up. So people are very open to the things that really do work. So I wanna talk a little bit uh, because we mentioned it, Henry Nouwen's concept of the wounded healer. And one of the things that I know um, Jay and I try to teach in our discipleship curriculum, but we believe this as a church, that the things that you've been through in life, whatever they are, enable you to help other people go through the same thing. So if you've been through a divorce, then who's better than you to go and help somebody who's going through a divorce? If you've been through financial hardships or uh, strains, then you can go and help somebody go through that. If you've lost a spouse, then who better than you to help somebody who's lost their spouse? So Talk to me, Ann, about Henry Nouwen's concept of the wounded healer and how we use our own pain, our own trials, our own experiences to minister and help others. I know that's kind of the foundation for your therapy practice, but will you say a little bit more about that? Oh, yes. Um, you know, this is one thing that doesn't make sense initially or maybe even the first year, year and a half to a person that you may be talking with because you're going to have, uh, as I did, even rage at God and need to learn how to lament. And as King David did in the Psalms, you know, really get honest with your emotions and you maybe can't see anything but darkness ahead or maybe even don't want to be here on this planet because you can't see any way forward. But if eventually the dark starts to turn into gold People will come across your path. They kind of come out of the woodwork who's had something um, happen. I was on a plane uh, coming back from Denver the other night, and a woman just sat down beside me, and she had lost her son to a drug overdose and been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer in the same week. Oh and, you know, I just thought, oh, Okay, Lord, you know, it's just one more thing. And, you know, we are equipped for every good work. Believe it or not, God does not waste anything. And um, I had to really take that on faith. We have to take that on faith that the things that happen to us that are not our fault, 
that will be utilized, and that's where our attitude comes in. If we stay in a victim stance, we will remain in a victim stance. We have got to have an action attitude that if we posture ourselves, and it's a spiritual responsibility to do everything we can to move toward healing, albeit at a slow pace, that this will be used to where we can uh, create in other people a sense of hope for belonging and faith. Jim, any thoughts on Nowen's concept? Um, well, I would echo everything Ann said. Okay. <laughs> I would echo, <laughs> would echo everything Ann said. I think the, um, my two cents on this is just don't be stupid. Um, don't pretend you know what somebody else is going through. Don't, don't pretend you know what it's like. Don't pretend that you have some sense that I know what this is like for you, because you're probably off base. So I would just add in terms of the process of be present, but most of all, be curious and be genuinely curious to know what their experience is, but you don't have to weigh into it with your own stuff. I want to talk a little bit about the church, and I think that the church is an amazing place to come to heal. However, one of the the catches is that a lot of people will not let their guard down, especially in a big, pretty church in Green Hills with a big steeple. A lot of people want to get dressed up and act like they've got it all together. Well, we know that everybody doesn't have it all together, but how do we create an environment, an authentic environment, where people feel comfortable sharing their pain? And they're hurt because a lot of times people say, I don't feel like I can let my guard down. I don't know if I can trust this person enough to talk to them about what's bothering me. So what's the key to doing that? Well, the, the key to it is creating safety is if there's no safety, nothing else happens. Uh, if there's no safety, people are not going to be able to open up and probably not going to open up in big ways, but there may be one or two people that connection. And that's all. It, if there's just one or two people in your world for whom you can create that safety, who really needs it in this particular time. That's a huge gift of grace. And what would you say to that? Oh, I, I would agree. I think keep uh, creating a safe environment. I know in our divorce care and grief share groups we do here, we call them spiritual emergency rooms. So it's sort of like drawing a curtain around, you know, having a clear understanding that what is said there stays there consistency, uh, keeping things really small, stressing confidentiality. And that may be too much for some people. Sometimes it needs to be a one-on-one, -on -one, as Jim said. Um, you hear a lot of talk about, and first of all, I want to thank you for everything you've done to help us move our healing ministries forward because um, you've been in instrumental in that and we do a lot and we're always trying to build on that. You hear a lot of people say that collectively our society is not in a good place from a mental health standpoint. So you, you coming out of the pandemic, you hear people say, well, the next pandemic is, is mental health, mental illness. And we, and we see that. So my question to both of you is, what do you think it is that needs to happen for our, not just individuals, but for our culture to get to a mentally healthier place? I was hoping you'd go first on that one, Jim. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a big question. Oh, I think I think we got to get past the anger. Um, That's just so huge. Is people are feeling alive because they're angry, and there's so many other ways to feel alive, and so many better ways to feel alive. 
this whole that, and you've used this quote that uh, bitterness is the poison we drink thinking we're killing another, is that the, uh, the degree of anger, and I think people just so searching to be known is the invisibility, the loneliness, the Surgeon General, as you quoted in a sermon recently, loneliness is our biggest issue. It's just finding ways to connect, but I think we just gotta tone down the anger. I would, would certainly agree with that, and I think that um, that that deep, deep sense of belonging, you know, that we have lost. Clay recommended a book several years ago that I think really said it called Lost Connections, mm -hmm. and that is a great book to read, and the frustration and anger that comes from having lost our connections, the brooding in isolation, that, that we often see, and that can come from unresolved trauma, unhealed trauma itself. Um, there's also just sort of the side practical issues um, that we have that people are so frustrated about is that when we, we know that there are people with mental health issues that either cannot be treated because our system is prohibitive because of cost, yeah. uh, I had a case last week where I've tried to help somebody get uh, a, a veteran with schizophrenia who's been stockpiling weapons reported, and we can't get anybody to listen to us. You know, so I mean, there's practical things like that where we've got to have a system. We can get somebody to listen to us and be preventable. So, and and one of the last things that I want to ask about is forgiveness. Um, we've talked about forgiveness in you know, in the series, both individually, forgiveness in families. Um, why is forgiveness so hard for people, but why is it so necessary? I would say we talk about it a lot in the Christian tradition. We pray about it in the Lord's Prayer, but far fewer people actually practice it. Yet we say we think it's important, but we have a hard time putting it to work. What are your thoughts on forgiveness as it relates to healing? I think we start in the mirror. Um, take a good look at where we need our own forgiveness, where we can forgive ourselves and be gracious to ourselves, and then start moving it out in terms of how are we gracious within our families. Um, some of the biggest numbers in PTSD is happening within families and people just being mean and cruel to one another within systems. So I think the, the notion of forgiveness, but be selfish about that. Uh, forgiveness really is good for your own soul. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, uh, there's a term altruistic egoism. We don't do things because we're so wonderfully altruistic. We do things because it feeds us, and forgiveness is one of the biggies. The more we forgive, the healthier we become in our own skin. And what would you say? Oh, I would so agree with that, and and that is the best way to take care of our health for the long for the long haul, and avoid all the physical catastrophes that can come from harboring resentment. But I also think that we have a lot of misunderstandings about what forgiveness really is. I think a lot of the a lot of us were were taught or we internalized it incorrectly that forgiveness means that we excuse behavior that that means to, again, open ourselves up to the person who hurt us, that we should expect that that person is gonna turn around and demonstrate different behavior. So we need to learn to accept the reality of the nature of that person, and maybe learn how to work on our boundaries and keep a safe distance, and um, live a good life ourselves. Is there anything else coming up here on our time, but is there anything else that you guys would like to add
uh, to this subject of healing. I know we could sit up here and talk for a really long time, and we're trying to do this as a message, but is there anything you would add, kind of closing thoughts to the healing process and why it's so important and um, how you see it playing out? I guess the only thing I might just underline, maybe not add, is um, the nature of, as Ann sort of underlined, it's so physical, it just affects our body at every single level. And maybe the best antidote is just go to church. I mean, if you look at a worship service, you got it all. You got other people around you. You've got experiential stuff. You got grace. Occasionally, you hear a good sermon. You got good music. You know, I mean, you got it all. And so, if just the very act of being here covers a lot of ground. And anything you'd add? Yeah. Maybe my, change that word occasionally. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, what should we substitute <laughs> <laughs> for the word occasionally? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and the other thing is to move. I mean, experience and personal experience and science shows us that if you can get into an activity, especially trauma science shows us if you can move your arms and your legs. This is not just a shuffle down the driveway. This is a moving arms and legs down the driveway or wherever you are consistently, you know, for a minimum of 15 minutes a day. Um, it makes a big it difference. works. Um, once again, let's thank Ann and Jim uh, for being here with us this morning. And um, thank you guys. Let me, uh, let me say a short prayer. Uh, loving God, uh, thank you for, for Jim and for Ann, for their, their wisdom, their experience, and for their commitment to, to healing in their own lives and their own ministries and practices. Lord, be with all of us because we all go through things from which we need healing. So help us to be honest about that. Help us to rely on you, to rely on each other, and uh, just to remember that healing is indeed a journey in life. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs>